Hello and welcome to Crossing the 49th, the cross-border tax and financial planning podcast. I'm your host, Phil Hogan, and today we're going to go through some more cross-border frequently asked questions. Okay, here we go. In the car again for another podcast. Um, today we're going to go through another list of cross-border frequently asked questions. feels like there's no, um, there's no limit to uh, what questions we can answer on this podcast because I get quite a few. So... Um, I have about seven or eight here, so we'll walk through these once again. Uh, thanks everybody who's been supporting the channel. If you have any questions on these, best way to get an answer, unless you want to actually book a longer um, consultation, is actually just to ask the question in the um, comments to the YouTube uh, video. And I really do try to answer every, um, every question that gets posted there. So um, yeah, let's start. Uh, question number one. Uh, I made a mistake on my cross-border returns. What should I do? So we get this question a lot, obviously. Um, you know, we'll, we'll help individuals out that either have filed their, their own returns or somebody had helped with their returns. And there was an error made. Um, and, you know, this individual is asking if they did make a mistake on the cross-border returns, uh, what, what should they do? So when you find that you've made a mistake either on your Canadian or your U.S. tax return, there are certainly options. Um, I mean, option number one is to do nothing. Of course, that's a terrible option. Um, and option number two is to actually uh, adjust the returns. So what you'll find is often on, um, when I say cross-border returns, so I'm talking about Americans living in Canada for the most part, uh, you know, they'll file a 1040 US return, they'll file a, a T1 Canadian return. And if they found that they made an error, likely what will happen is they'll need to be an adjustment on both sides of the border. So if you make a mistake on your Canadian return, you'll likely need to adjust that on your US return as well. So the way you do that is you file in Canada a T1 adjustment form and in the U.S. you file um, a 1040X adjustment form. On the Canadian side, there's a couple ways to do this. You can file this um, via paper, which is kind of a slow way of filing. Um, there's a refile mechanism where you can uh, re-e-file your Canadian return and, uh, and have it adjusted that way. Uh, you can also log into CRA online if you have an account and then adjust it through there. For the U.S. side, uh, you simply file a 1040X. Um, in some cases, you're able to electronically file that. Uh, in most cases, we paper file. Uh, so a 1040X is simply just um, an adjustment to your um, U.S. return that you filed originally. Yeah, so if you need to um, file your cross border, uh, refile or adjust your cross border returns, that's how you do it. Uh, T1 adjustment in Canada and then a um, 1040X in the US. Okay, so question number two Should I keep my US inheritance in, or my US inheritance in the US? Uh, once again, you know, we get this question a lot. Lots of inheritances coming through from uh, the US to Canada for sure. So, this is a very lengthy topic and depending on your situation, I mean, we, you know, we do lots of planning for, uh, for clients for uh, U.S. inheritances. You know, often these inheritances are uh, locked into trusts. Um, you'll have non-taxable accounts like IRAs and 401ks and Roth IRAs. You'll have taxable accounts. You'll have real estate down there. So this, you know, this area is quite complex. So if you have, you know, a sizable inheritance coming to you from the U.S., you definitely want to reach out because uh, there's there's some planning that um, that needs to be done uh, to to helpfully avoid uh, penalties and, and complexity um, and also to help reduce tax. Uh, but generally speaking, if 
you're a Canadian resident and you're living up here permanently, I would almost always suggest trying to find a way to move the assets up to Canada. And mainly, I mean, first, if they're managed in the U.S. by a U.S. broker, it'll be very difficult for them to even consider the Canadian tax implications of the investments. And we talked about this all the time. You know, in a lot of U.S. portfolios, we might have, you know, tax-free muni bonds that are not um, tax-free in Canada. Um, you'll have, you know, U.S. dividends, which is not, there's nothing wrong with having U.S. dividend-paying uh, stocks. However, if they're, you know, heavily weighted um, to the portfolio, and you might rather Canadian dividends, the, the tax rate on those dividends is, is quite higher if they're coming from US Corps. Um, in a lot of cases, you'll see funds that clients own that um, have large capital gains distributions from them, which uh, will be considered capital gains for the US, but full um, you know, regular income in Canada. So you don't even get the capital gains treatment in Canada and that the extra tax can be quite significant. So. Uh, generally speaking, we do like to plan to move the assets into Canada if you receive a U.S. inheritance. Once again, this is a very lengthy topic um, and it's really dependent on your particular situation. So if this is something that applies to you, please reach out and we can uh, chat about how, uh, how I can help. Okay, question number three. I'm getting audited by the CRA for my foreign tax credits. Should I engage an accountant? Uh, we, we touched on this a little bit on the last Q&A. Um, and I mentioned, I put this question in here because I often get, um, I get that almost exact wording where uh, somebody says that they're being audited by CRA. So these foreign tax credit reviews or any reviews, whether they're reviewing your, your donations or reviewing your, your medical slips uh, or anything on the Canadian tax return, these are not audits. So these are just reviews of either how you calculated something on your tax return uh, or if you know you claimed, uh, you know, let's say you claimed $5,000 in in donations, they want to see that you actually made $5,000 in donations. Uh, so these are not audits. If you've ever been through a CRA audit, they're much more painful than, um, than, than these reviews, although the reviews can be a pain also, especially if you're not used to uh, corresponding with um, CRA. So the second part of that question is, should I engage an accountant to help with my review? I would say, if you feel confident that you did proper calculations for your foreign tax credit, maybe you have a simple situation where you're not a U.S. citizen, you receive an IRA, they withheld 15%, you claim 15% on your Canadian return, and you're confident that's the right uh, foreign tax credit, which it would be, uh, I would just respond to CRA with everything they ask for in the letter. So in the letter that they send, the, um, uh, the tax review letter, they'll outline pretty clearly what they want you to send back. Uh, you send that back, they look at it, uh, they okay it, they'll send you a letter saying thank you that we, uh, thank you for sending in your info, uh, we've allowed your claim, and you move on. So, uh, you know, if you're confident that those calculations were correct, you won't need to engage an accountant. Now, if for some reason you feel like those calculations are incorrect, or if you had another accountant do the calculations um, and they were incorrect, you probably do want to reach out to somebody that has experience um, on the cross-border side to help you with the um, um, CRA review. Um, in a lot of cases, we see uh, individuals claiming you know, above 15% for pensions or incorrect um, foreign tax credit calculations for Americans living in Canada, where you know they might claim 15%, but they paid less than that when they actually filed their U.S. return. So, um, so generally speaking, if you feel like you're you're very confident in the calculations, I would say just respond to CRA um, by yourself. If you feel like the original calculations were incorrect, you probably want to have somebody look at it because you might need to adjust the, the actual tax return. Okay, so moving on to the next question. 
should I incorporate my business as an American living in Canada? Once again, a question we get all the time. And this, this is tricky because this is also a very lengthy conversation that we would have with clients that we do consults for. Um, these would be often individuals that newly to Canada, you know, uh, often professionals. You know, we work with lots of doctors and lawyers and, and other professionals and business owners that, you know, they might move to Canada with, you know, an LLC and they're thinking about incorporating. And as we know, LLCs don't work very well cross-border from a Canadian U.S. perspective. Uh, but unfortunately, incorporating Canadian companies as an American, especially in this environment, works doesn't work very well at all. It used to be, especially when we had income splitting, there was certainly an advantage, even though there was a ton of compliance um, associated with, with doing the, um, the tax returns if you had an incorporated entity in Canada. Um, you know, we could split income with spouses, which really reduced Canadian taxes um, and some other small benefits. But now, because of the changes to the Canadian tax rules and the incorporation rules, you know, the limits on income splitting um, and then all the compliance on the U.S. side. So not to get into the weeds here, but if you are incorporated as an American living in Canada, you have additional forms to do on your 1040. So you have the, that, that notorious 5471 form, which is a very complicated form to, um, to prepare and plan for, very expensive. Um, and if you are not getting any value from your Canadian corporation, likely don't want to incorporate as an American. Also, because of the tax changes that came down when Trump was elected in 2017, or at the end of 2017 when, the, when these uh, measures were enacted, um, certain types of income are actually subject to U.S. tax, regardless of whether you pull the money out of the, uh, the company. Uh, there's special rules for investments owned, investment income owned, uh, earned in a Canadian corporation. So the long and short of it, if you want to have this conversation, certainly reach out and we can have this lengthy conversation. But in most cases, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Americans to incorporate, especially if their income is relatively low corporately. Um, there, there are some other more um, creative options um, by incorporating a, a, a ULC, an unlimited liability corporation. But once again, that's out of the scope of this this conversation. So if you're in this situation, I mean, fair, feel free to, to leave a comment below or um, or uh, reach out. We can uh, I can provide a little bit of guidance or somebody else that can uh, I can refer you to somebody else that can and per, perhaps help. Okay. Uh, next question is: Is the U.S. Economic stimulus payment taxable in Canada. Of course, this is th these are questions that people ask a ton online. Over the last couple of years, as everybody's aware, U.S. citizens, if they qualified, receive um, economic stimulus payments because of the, um, the global pandemic and how it affected um, the U.S. And, and, and global economies. So, um, of course, uh, in short, U.S. stimulus payments are not taxable uh, for U.S. purposes and are not taxable for Canadian purposes. So they don't get reported. Uh, on the U.S. side, you have to make sure that you you report that you receive them on the U.S. return because in some cases, individuals that were eligible that didn't receive the economic stimulus payments were able to receive them on their U.S. return and claim a refund and essentially indirectly receive them through their, um, their 1040 fund. So um, uh, long story short, the economic stimulus payments from the U.S. are not taxable in Canada. Next question. Can I buy a car with Bitcoin? 
Um, I put this, I put this in, this is not a question I get all the time, but I get, we get questions about crypto and Bitcoin specifically um, a lot. So the reason I put this question in here is not necessarily to answer the question, can you buy Bitcoin or can you buy a car with Bitcoin? And of course, in some places in the US and, and maybe in Canada, um, if the dealer allows for it, you would be able to buy a car with Bitcoin, but that's not really the point. The point is when you, when you buy an item with Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency for that matter, what are the tax implications of that, um, of that purchase? And when you buy Bitcoin with, or sorry, when you buy a car or anything with, with Bitcoin, you're essentially selling Bitcoin and then purchasing a car. So it actually is a taxable, uh, taxable event. It would be no different than if you, let's say you're buying a $100,000 car, you sell $100,000 of your Bitcoin, take that $100,000 in cash, buy the car. Those are two separate transactions. So if you haven't, you know, if you purchase Bitcoin 10 years ago and you sold $100,000 of Bitcoin, you're going to have a fairly large uh, capital gain on that transaction. So I put that question in there just so people understand that if you purchase Bitcoin, uh, sorry, I keep saying purchase Bitcoin. If you purchase um, you know, services or, or products with Bitcoin, you'll have a disposition of that, that asset and you'll pay tax on that capital gain. Um, it's not a tax-free capital gain just because you purchase something with with Bitcoin. So just um, and once again, that can get really tricky if you're making you know smaller transactions throughout the day. If you're you know buying um, you know, smaller items on online with Bitcoin, each one of those transactions is actually a taxable event, which can get really complicated to track. You know, once again, there's online um, services to help you track your your crypto uh, buys and sells, but those are often at the exchange level and not for for purchases. So. Um, okay, and this is the last question of the um, of the episode. I moved to Canada with stock options. How are these taxed? Uh, this this is something. This is this is quite frequent because we work with a lot of um, software engineers that move to Canada. Uh, they might work for Apple. They might work for Google. They might work for Facebook or even smaller startups uh, or even public companies, smaller public companies, uh, and they'll move to Canada, but they'll have. Um, a bunch of stock options that either um, have invested yet or they haven't exercised yet. Um, and then the question is, how do these get taxed? Now, once again, this is a topic that gets quite complex um, and, and can be quite convoluted and nuanced. Um, but I, I wanted to put it in here just so that people understood that you really have to take a look first on the US side, what types of options are there? Are they eligible or ineligible options? But even more importantly, um, how are the options uh, sourced? So in very general terms, and I'm gonna say very, very general terms, um, if you have questions about this, please reach out because um, you're really gonna to wanna to go through the planning on this. But in very general terms, you're gonna be taxed on the stock options uh, when exercised, um, but they will be sourced to the country where you actually earned um, the income. So let me give you a, you know, let's give you a, a simple example here. Uh, you work for Google, you are planning to move in on, uh, to Canada, uh, you have a bunch of stock options that you earned while you were down in the US, you move to Canada and then you exercise $100,000 of stock options in Canada. Um, and very simply, just and this will be different depending on the types of options, um, the $100,000 of income that you're uh, going to report both on the Canadian and US side uh, will be taxable in the US because you um, you earned 
that income in the US. So the income was earned in the US, therefore um, it will be taxable in the US even though you are actually in, um, in Canada when you exercise those options. So um, I've, seen, I've seen individuals get this, this wrong and it can actually cause a lot of problems with CRA if they review the return, if they look at the return or even audit the return, uh, they'll recognize that the, um, the income was um, incorrectly sourced. Now in cases where they look at it, they might not care so much because it wasn't taxed in Canada, but certainly if the IRS looks at it, that will be um, an issue. So just know that if you're going to uh, move to Canada with stock options, you want to reach out because there's some, uh, um, not necessarily planning to do, although there's sometimes there can be planning to exercise options before you enter Canada, uh, but certainly you want to get a sense for what it will look like when you exercise these options while you're in Canada. So that was the last question. Hopefully, uh, you know, that was helpful to, to some of you. I'm gonna say it again. If you have any questions, please leave them in the comments below. I really do my best to answer every single question. Um, I've been very humbled by all the awesome feedback I've gotten about the uh, Facebook page and the blog and the information. I really do this to, to educate people. Um, I enjoy doing these. They take a long time. They're time consuming. Uh, but I, I certainly um, enjoy it. If you feel like this has been helpful, the best way to, to, to thank me for this content uh, would be to uh, leave comments below, uh, to like the video, uh, to subscribe, to tell friends about the channel. Uh, we're already at like 422 subscribers. Uh, so for a niche channel like, like ours, which is very niche, cross-border tax and financial planning, that's awesome. Um, and big thanks to everybody in the Facebook group for the support. So uh, once again, uh, we'll wrap this one up for today and then we'll see you on the next one.